Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. Last week, the Seattle Police Department released their annual crime report for 2022. Violent crime was up, except in the last quarter. Concern and fear about violent crime was up too. And that perception may be more important than the statistics. Seattle University's Dr. Jackie Helfgott is here to explain why. But first, let's get you caught up. Seattle voters, you've got one more day to make up your mind about whether or not you support the social housing measure on the ballot. I-135 would create a public agency charged with raising private and government money to buy, build, and maintain permanently affordable housing for people with varying incomes. The special election is tomorrow, but your ballot probably arrived weeks ago. So dig that out of your to-do pile, fill it out, and drop it in the mail today. Or maybe a Dropbox tomorrow. Seattle City Council will decide tomorrow whether to honorarily designate a stretch of Union Street as Devon Pickett Jr. Way. Pickett was shot and killed while closing his mailing and shipping business last October. The designation on the stretch between 21st and 22nd in Union is meant to honor Pickett, a respected community leader and mentor for young people in the Central District. And if you bought dark chocolate for your partner this Valentine's Day, maybe take a second look. Consumer reports found cadmium and lead in 28 popular dark chocolate bars, including Seattle-based Theo's Chocolate. Consumer reports says one ounce of Theo's extra dark chocolate bar has 140% of California's maximum allowed daily dose of lead and 189% of the daily dose of cadmium. Crime is top of mind in Seattle right now, and there are numbers to back it up. Last week, the Seattle Police Department released their annual crime statistics. The report included rates of violent and property crime and the results from Seattle University's Public Safety Survey. For the last eight years, Seattle U has tried to gauge perceptions of crime across the city, neighborhood by neighborhood. To Dr. Jacqueline Healthcott, people's perception of safety is even more important than the reality of crime. She's here to walk us through the crime report and the importance of capturing and changing people's perceptions of public safety. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being here, Jackie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Last week, SPD released its annual crime statistics, and it's easy to look at that report and its findings that crime is way up and worry. So how should we be thinking about it? Relative to other cities, Chicago, New York, L.A., you know, other cities, Seattle is a relatively safe city to to live in. The other thing that we need to keep in mind is that to make sense of crime trends, you really need to stand back at a bird's eye view and, 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 and make sense of the crime trends over time. I, I, I'm saying that from an academic statistical perspective, you know, wait, let's wait to look at the crime trends from an everyday quality of life. I'm a person on the street perspective. You know, of course, we still need to pay attention to what matters to people in terms of their experiences around crime and public safety. Let's talk a little bit about hotspots, because in the report from SPD, they identified some spots in the city that had a lot of criminal activity, 3rd and Pine, 12th and Jackson, Aurora, among others. Does the perception of these areas, these hotspots, affect the reality there? On one level, yes, it most certainly does. If people are afraid of crime in your neighborhood, 
they're going to be less likely to go outside. <laughs> they're going to be less likely to engage with their neighbors. And a big part of reducing crime involves knowing your neighbors, getting outside. Like, you know, people have discussed how, you know, we need more people downtown. You know, if, if the crime has increased in for downtown businesses because during COVID there weren't that many, you know, as many people downtown. And so if people are afraid to go outside, there's not going to be as many people walking around and that's going to increase certain types of crime. And it's interesting because what it sounds like you're saying is that a feeling of increased safety is actually more powerful than crime that could be occurring around you. Yes, because if you have people out walking their dogs, walking out and about, riding their bikes and feeling safe and, you know, then, yeah, you're going to reduce the likelihood of crime occurring within those those um, areas. Could you go as far as to say that feeling safe is actually more important than crime rates? Yes, I would, because the on an individual level, really, do you care about the statistics of crime? When, when a person wakes up in the morning and goes to bed at night, how much is the statistics of crime going to matter? What matters is your everyday reality, your case study, so to speak, and statistics aren't going to going to matter. And if you're the victim of crime, whether you're in an area that has low violent crime, if you're the one victim of that violent crime, then your your life has been, you know, harmed and disrupted from that. And so the statistics don't matter. So yes, I would say that perceptions of crime matter more than the actual st- aggregate statistics of crime. Fascinating, fascinating, really fascinating. So after you gather data about safety concerns, how do you actually change perceptions? We use that data um, to engage in community police dialogues. And so, and those dialogues uh, are held in an attempt to help community members understand the reality of crime, to help community members understand where to go to find out about crime in their neighborhood, to understand, you know, what do I do if I see something? Do I call 911? Do I not call 911? Um, how do I make sense of the fact that I have high fear of crime and maybe I live in a neighborhood that doesn't have high violent crime or maybe I live next door adjacent to a neighborhood that does? Like, how do I make sense of all of that? So uh, we do community police dialogues where personnel all the way from recruits and officers all the way up to command staff, crime prevention coordinators. So we have c- civilian and sworn um, police personnel. What kind of success are you seeing from this work? I can say anecdotally, let's say in West Seattle, because West Seattle oftentimes has a lot of traffic concerns, a lot of speeding on Alki, or, you know, I'm really concerned about this. It's a real danger for my children going out, and and I don't see a police officer out there. What's being done about this? And and this is a real story of, you know, something that has happened in one of the dialogues. And, and then an officer will be there and say, well, actually, I'm out there at this and this time of the day, you know, clocking the people speeding. And, and if um, you need me to be at a certain location, I'm happy to meet with you and have coffee and talk about, you know, what your particular needs are. But I could also say from our qualitative data, what we're definitely seeing an increase increase in community police engagement as a result of the micro-community policing plans. And the whole purpose of that back in 2014 when it started was to have um, 
more reach out to more community members to play a role than historically have been involved the few people that would go to the advisory council meetings and so this gives more community members a a a way to connect with police so we've been talking about the perception of crime and how your work indicates it's more important than actual crime rates themselves But the reality still is violent crime is on the rise here in the city. So what do we need to do to make people not only feel safer, but be safer? People are often coming to the dialogues and one of the biggest questions they have or issues is, I don't know what to do. Like when I'm confronted with a crime, I don't know what to do. Do I call 911? Do I not call 911? Because people are concerned with, number one, they're concerned with lack of police capacity. They don't want to be a burden. They, they see a low level crime. Do I, I don't want to call 911. I don't want to waste resources. But police say, call 911. They need to call 911. There's also people who don't think the police are going to come, so they don't want to call 911. They still need to call 911 because it's going to get the data in the system and so that police resources can be directed to that area so that the police know that there's a concern. There's a third group of people who don't want to call 911 because the systemic racism and they don't want to contribute to systemic racism. So they're concerned about that. So those are some of the things that we also talk about in the dialogue that people need to call 911. It's not going just to the police, it's going to emergency services because the answer is not just the police. And there's plenty of research that historically has shown that. Police generally react to crime. It's, you know, takes a whole community working together with the police. And the other thing that has risen up to the top the last couple of years is people saying as a top concern that we need more social and, and social services and mental health services to respond to public safety. That's not a police issue. That's a community issue. So I'd say, what do people do to, you know, navigate the situation when we have increased crime? Informal social control, become involved in helping and working with the Seattle police, working with community agencies, working in the city to help increase capacity for public safety. You know, we've all heard a lot of talk about, we don't want the police doing it, we can't have the police doing it alone. So every single person who lives and works in Seattle can play a role in increasing public safety. And of course, Jackie, the more we care for each other, the closer we get to where we need to be. Dr. Jackie Helfgott is a professor of criminal justice at Seattle University. Really appreciate your insight. Thanks for your research. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Brandy Fullwood, Vaughn Jones, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. 